Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. Good evening. I'm Sarah, the pastor here at Crozet United Methodist Church, and this is Holy Thursday or Monday Thursday, depending on your tradition. This year is when our church would be celebrating Monday Thursday, which is an emphasis upon the service and the hand washing that Jesus does as recorded in the Gospel account of John. We're going to read that in a little bit in our worship service, but tonight, unfortunately, we are not going to have the opportunity to partake of Holy Communion, which regardless of the liturgical year, we would be doing on this evening. And so we do want to acknowledge that there is an emptiness, a void where that sacrament would be in our lives. It's something that I hold very sacred and dear, and I know that our congregation does. And if you are tuning in with us, but you haven't had the opportunity to worship with us, this is something that is a hallmark of our hospitality here in our church family. And so we do look forward to the day when we can all gather again together here in this holy space and partake once more of this incredible gift of God's grace. But until then, we are going to continue to cling to our means of grace. We are still going to have the opportunity to ask for and receive forgiveness and grace for our sins that is not incumbent upon us actually taking the bread and the cup. And so we're going to have that opportunity. I have a couple of announcements for you, but before I do that, I do want to let you know that in a little while, we are going to have the opportunity to sing together a hymn from the United Methodist hymnal, Yesu, Yesu, which is number 432. So if you would like to sing along with us, you're welcome to Google and look up those lyrics. Uh, it's a, it's a well-known song to some of us, although not everyone, but we think that the wording will perfectly encompass what we are celebrating this evening. Also want to remind you that tomorrow night on Good Friday at 7 p.m., we'll have a service here that you can tune into. And at 9.30 on Easter Sunday, we will be here, and we look forward to having you tune in and join us for the greatest, most epic Sunday of the year in a new and a wholly different way. Um, I encourage you to find us on Facebook, and you can certainly invite your friends to do that if they don't have a church home that they're plugging into this Easter. We welcome any and all. Also, if you had signed up to reach out to some of our non-digital members in our congregation here, just want to remind you, this is a perfect time to reach out to them and connect with them and remind them that the body of Christ is bigger than occupying the same space at the same time and check in on them because I know that this is a very difficult time for some of us not to be together. The other thing is that even if you haven't signed up to do that, you are welcome to reach out to the people in our church family here, in your family, in your circle of friends. There's no better time than to, to connect than tonight. As we will see, Jesus was using the practice of the Passover Seder in order to connect not only with his apostles, but with the others that were following him as people all over Jerusalem and Jews all over at that time were doing it. It's a time to draw together and to expand our 
concept of community. This is a perfect time to use that tradition as a catalyst for our own connections. So we encourage you to do that. And the last thing I want to say to you is that we do recognize that there have been some Facebook Live issues. I myself have had some struggles as I'm trying to upload some of the devotional videos that I have been recording from my home. If you're having problems with buffering, the image freezing, or your system completely locking up, unfortunately, there is no easy solution. Uh, Facebook has been inundated with a whole number of congregations and clergy and groups finding ways in order to reach out just as we are doing here. And so if that is happening to you, um, we've noticed that there is some difference between different devices and cellular carriers and ISPs, and there's no one-size-fits-all fix. So if you experience any of those issues, the advice that we've been receiving is that we, you should shut down Facebook on whatever device that you're using it on and then try to reconnect or try another device. Unfortunately, on Sunday, a number of people found they couldn't watch it from their laptop or their iPad, but they could from their phone. And so we hope that there's a device. It's not a bad idea to kind of have multiple devices ready if you have that ability, because we certainly want to connect with you. And we greatly appreciate you wanting to connect with us. And we mourn the fact that that has not been easy, especially now when it is so vital. So commend all of that to you. And without further delay, I want to begin with the order of worship that comes from the United Methodist Book of Worship. There is an entire liturgy for Holy Thursday, and it begins with this greeting. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. I'm going to invite you into a time of confession and pardon. And in the United Methodist tradition, this would be the beginning of our entrance into the sacrament of Holy Communion. But unfortunately, we are unable to do that at this time. The United Methodist Church does not practice online communion because communion is something that is done in community, as is indicated by the invitation to communion in our book of worship and in our hymnals, which says, Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. It invites us into community. It invites us to draw together because that is exactly what happened on that fateful night in the upper room. They had drawn together. It was not a one-on-one -on -one or an individual encounter, but instead it was more about the group finding transformation and finding a new experience with their Lord and Savior. And so we mourn that we are not able to do that at this time. And for most of us, we are eagerly anticipating the time when we can draw together once more. And I tell you that I myself am looking forward to that. I have missed it very much. It is an honor and a privilege to be able to serve others in this way and to encounter people in such a poignant place in their faith life. And I have missed it. I know that you have missed it. And trust me, when we have the opportunity to come back, it will be with great celebration that we engage in communion together. And as always, our table will be open to all. Until then, we are going to continue to confess and seek God's forgiveness and grace. And we have an opportunity to do that in this liturgy. It's going to open up with some words and encourage us to take a few moments to lift up our individual sins. You don't have to do this out loud. This is something that you can do in the inner voice of your heart. It's something that you could do by writing. And you don't have to fully do it now. I'm going to pause for a few moments to give us some time to do that. And then I will continue on with our corporate confession that we as Christians, even in diaspora as we currently are, can still lift up and recognize that the church has not gone on to perfection yet. 
And then I will close by saying to you that in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. You are absolutely welcome and invited to respond the same, even where you are at. There are those here who will hopefully respond the same for me. In the United Methodist Church, forgiveness is not something that I give. It is something that we give to each other, and that is something precious and holy for us to celebrate. So let us move into a time of confession and pardon. My sisters and brothers, Christ shows us his love by becoming a humble servant. Let us draw near to God and confess our sin in the truth of God's spirit. Let us take a moment to lift up our individual sins to God in the silence of our hearts. Most merciful God, we, your church, confess that often our spirit has not been that of Christ, where we have failed to love one another as he loves us, where we have pledged loyalty to him with our lips and then betrayed, deserted, or denied him. Forgive us, we pray, and by your spirit make us faithful in every time of trial, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Who is in a position to condemn only Christ. But Christ suffered and died for us and was raised from the dead and ascended on high for us and continues to intercede for us. Believe the good news. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. If you are gathered with anyone in your home, this would be a perfect time to turn to them and just Tell them how glad you are that you can be in relationship with them. In the church, we call this passing the peace of Christ. It's a perfect opportunity to do that if you're gathered with someone. And if you're not, you could send a text message or send them an email. This would be the perfect time to go, hey, in the midst of worship, I'm thinking about you. And I am glad that you are with me in spirit, even if you're not in person. So I can commend that to you. As we continue on, we are going to be hearing scripture this evening from the gospel account of John chapter 13. This is where Jesus is recorded and doing foot washing. And it's a important moment for us as he is modeling what it means to show radical servants, uh, servanthood, radical servant leadership, and incredible humility. So before we hear these words, I'm going to invite us to pray. Let us pray. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us, no matter where we are, for there is no door that can keep you from coming in, and there is no shield that can prevent us from experiencing you. You desire to be with us, to transform our hearts, to remind us that the truth of this day is still very much with us and for us, that Jesus Christ came to show us profound love and encourage us to do likewise. May we read once more the account of his foot washing and care of his apostles and be moved and motivated to love likewise and to go forth to serve others as we are able and hopefully in a day ahead when we can once more engage in the missions and the ministries of the church that are done to bring honor and glory to Christ, as we hope and pray. May these things be accomplished because it is your will 
and your way. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. I invite you to hear these words from the Gospel account of John chapter 13. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. He then poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. I'm going to pause for a moment because sometimes we skip too quickly over Scripture, and we have the opportunity this evening to really immerse ourselves in the text. So let's try to envision what was going on that night. This is an incredible night in the life of the Jews, not only today, but in the life of the Jews in Jesus' day. They would have gathered for an epic remembrance. This is a ritualized supper that they would be eating. It would be to remind them and to teach the children and to give glory to God for the exodus from Egypt. Having been there for over 430 years in bondage, in slavery, in hard labor and oppression, the people were set free on the night that the Spirit of the Lord passed over them and only took the firstborn of the Egyptians and their cattle and their herds. This is a night when the people experienced God's grace in a new way. God told them exactly how to engage with this means of grace, telling them how to offer the sacrificial lamb or goat, telling them how to cook it, how to consume it, and even how to eat it, what they are to wear, and how they were to have this meal. In Exodus chapter 12, it goes into uh, intimate detail, which I did in the Bible study at 6 o'clock, if you want to go back and check that out. You'll find that one of the things that happened there is that they were told to eat it with their loins girded. So if you were wearing a long robe, you would actually pull that up and kind of tuck it in so that your legs would be free to run. They were told to eat it with their sandals on, which is not something that was part of their tradition at that time. Your sandals were the most filthy part, and you would have removed them at the door and maybe if you had the opportunity, washed your feet before coming to the dinner table. Because this is also a time when they are kind of reclining at the table. Often we see uh, Da Vinci's Last Supper, which has them sitting at a table much more similar to what we do. But back then they would have reclined, maybe on cushions or some low-level benches. And so your feet would have been in proximity to the table in a way that is not now. Now our feet are tucked under the table. So it would have been really important to recognize that this is something different. They would have had their dirty shoes on. And they were told to eat it with their staff in their hand. And if you've ever tried to eat dinner with something in your hand, you know that that is difficult. And the last thing they were told is to eat it hurriedly, to quickly eat this meal, because they don't know yet, but God is going to have them leaving in the very same day. On a lunar calendar, the Passover began at twilight when they slaughtered the lamb, and the next morning when Pharaoh and all of Egypt realized what had happened, that's when the people are told to go and to exit Egypt. And so they would have been leaving in the same day according to their calendar. And under this, the apostles would have entered into that upper room with Jesus. 
a place that they had found where they could reenact this sacred meal. And so they would have gathered with the, with the requisite lamb. They would have gathered there with the wine cups, with the bitter herbs, the other pieces, and the unleavened bread, of course, which was a major part of it. All of these things would have been set and prepared, and they would have entered into this space, and they would have been ready to go as if they were reenacting that they too would experience liberation this evening. And so all of a sudden, in the midst of this, Jesus does something unexpected. Jesus decides to get up and to take off his outer robe, which you would have eaten, the meal with your coat on, takes this off, kind of stepping out of the Passover mode. He ties a towel around himself, dressing himself as a servant would. He grabs a basin, pours water into it, and then he starts to wash his disciples' feet and wipe them with the very same towel that's around him. So what we're envisioning is that Jesus doesn't look like Jesus anymore. He no longer looks like their spiritual leader. He no longer looks like their guide and their teacher. Instead, he looks like a servant. And he's humbling himself by getting down and by washing their dirty feet, which means that he has to remove their sandals. The irony of this is that John the Baptist even spoke of Jesus, I am not fit to remove his sandals. And yet here is Jesus removing theirs, taking off these dirty sandals, cleansing their feet, which they would not have done before now, and drying them with the towel that is still attached to them. He is taking their dirt and grime onto himself, which is exactly what Jesus does on the cross. He takes our sin and our guilt onto himself, and he's modeling this for them in the foot washing. The text goes on after that point, with Simon Peter at verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, You do not know now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, You will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, one who bathes does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. So we have this little moment where Jesus has already been washing feet. He's already dirty and grimy, and he's already been showing that this is what's going to happen. And Peter has been watching it, and when Jesus gets to him, there's anxiety in his words. You're not going to do that to me, are you? And it's not, I don't want you touching my feet. I haven't had a pedicure. It's not, oh my goodness, I'm, a, I'm afraid of what Jesus is going to see when he unties my shoes. Instead, it's, this doesn't feel right. You are my Lord. You shouldn't be doing this to me. And he's trying to say, you know, you don't have to do this. You don't have to wash my dirty feet, Lord. That's not, that's not what I require of you. But Jesus needs him to experience this. You need to see just how much I love you and how much I am willing to serve you because my expectation is that you will do likewise. And so he says to him, if you want to have a share in me, Simon Peter, you're going to have to get your feet washed. And at that, Simon Peter changes his entire affect. Wait, not just my feet. Can you do my hands and my head? Can you do more? I want a whole share of you, Lord. I want all of you that there is. 
Simon Peter has a tremendous love for the Lord. And he's going to have his moments, his slip-ups, very shortly. But in this, he is very authentic in that he does want to be with Jesus. It is very honest right now when he says, whatever you need to wash, I want to be with you. And Jesus says, I'm trying to show you something, Simon Peter. Hold on a second. I will get there with you. And he says, I'm not giving you a mikvah, a ritual bath. I am showing you in the foot washing. He says, you are clean, but not all of you. The text will go on to explain why Jesus says this. At verse 11, it says, for he knew who was to betray him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus knows that even though he is gathered here with the twelve, the very same who have been on an epic earthly ministerial journey. They have walked with him all over Israel. They have journeyed down to the holy city. They were with him on the triumphant entry last Sunday on Palm Sunday. They were with him when he went into the temple and he cleansed it of the money changers and he overturned the tables and he survived. They were with him when they witnessed his epic battle of, of intelligence and debate with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They watched him triumph over the best and the brightest in their religious circles. And now, now they are watching him do something very different. This is not the triumphant Jesus that entered in into the parade. This is not the Jesus that with power and might cleansed the temple. This is not the Jesus who has such sharp wit and words. This is a humble servant Christ before them. And he recognizes that there is going to be a betrayal. And he knows that it will come from Judas Iscariot. At verse 12, he says, After he had washed their feet, he put on his robe, and he had returned to the table. So after the conclusion of the foot washing, he puts his robe back on, and now he's back into Jesus mode. And he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Very truly, I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. He is trying to give them one more teaching, one more lesson to let them know that he is showing them what the expectation is. He is modeling for them what he wants them to do. I want you to serve. I have served you as I serve God the Father. I have been a servant, and you are to go forth to serve. You are not to become princes and earthly powers, but instead you are to be vessels of spiritual hope and providing for people a means of grace. He is preparing them to go forth, not for glory, but to be vessels of grace. He goes on to say, um, if you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. And I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but it is to fulfill the scripture. The one who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. He goes on to quote there Psalm 41, a Davidic psalm where it recounts that those that were closest betrayed the author of the psalm. And here he knows that one of his apostles will betray him. He says, I tell you this now before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe that I am he. Very truly, I tell you, 
Whoever receives one whom I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. He's setting up a genealogy of authority and service. He has come from the Father, and he is now sending them, and they are to continue to go forth and to send others. He is inviting them into a system of authority that is meant to bless and not burden. At verse 21, he says, After saying this, Jesus was troubled in spirit. His spirit already is beginning to ache. And he declared, Very truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. In a moment of intense vulnerability and emotion, he tells them the horrible truth, that one who is gathered there at this sacred meal is going to be the one to stab him in the back. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he was speaking. Of course they want to know. One of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. I love how human the apostles are. After this incredible teaching, Jesus reveals to them that one of them there is going to betray him, and they all want to know. So the, the disciple that's closest to Jesus gets a signal from Simon Peter. Ask him. Ask him who it's going to be. He wants him to find out from Jesus who it is. And so while reclining next to Jesus, the disciple whom he loved asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I give this piece of bread that I have dipped it in the dish. So when he had dipped the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. After he received the piece of bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, do quickly what you are going to do. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the common purse, Jesus was telling him, go buy what we need for the festival, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the piece of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. They are still not picking up on subtlety and nuance. Jesus told them that it is the one with whom he shares the piece of bread, and then they seem to be incapable of understanding that it's going to be Judas. It reveals to us that they didn't look at Judas as a betrayer. Surely it couldn't be him. He keeps the common purse. He's our treasurer. He's the one in charge of our finances. We all trust Judas. How could he be the one? And yet the text tells us that something changes in Judas, and he goes out to betray Jesus to the religious authorities, and that it is now night. And when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, I now say to you, Where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You should also love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Oftentimes, Christians think about this as we should love others. There's a song, they will know we are Christians by our love. But there's a subtlety here that we miss. They will know we are Christians by how we love each other in the church, which is a harder thing for some of us. It's hard to love people that you are with constantly when you have opportunities to disagree and to bicker. 
It's hard for us to love people that have divergent theologies and don't ascribe to the same weight to all the doctrines that we do. And yet Jesus is reminding them and us that people should look at them and see a profound love between the apostles after he is gone and that that will be a testimony that they are his people. We are called to nothing less, whether those members of the body of Christ are in our homes and our household or whether they are those with whom we share sacred space and the ministries and the missions of the church. We cannot allow ourselves to be broken and fractured and hurtful towards one another for our love to each other is one of our greatest testimonies about the Lord that we serve. In verse 36, Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Again, they do not understand. Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It is hard for us not to look at Simon Peter and be jaded. I have a tension-filled relationship with Simon Peter. I read the scriptures and I feel so wonderful when he gets it right. You are the Messiah, he declares. Let me walk on the water and come to you with such desire. And then it's the same person who goes, but you're the Messiah and you can't die. Or let me walk on the water and then fall victim to fear and begin to sink. Let me declare my love for you, Lord, and then turn around and deny you when people ask, am I am with you? And so we see this tension and this frustration, but I think what really resonates for me is that the tension and the frustration I feel for Simon Peter is the same tension and frustration I feel for myself. Because I would love to think that I get it right, but I know better. And when we have these opportunities to stop and confess our prayer, I am very aware that I am not the pastor that I want to be, that I fall short of the glory of God, and that I often fall short of the standard by which I would love to lead the congregation and the flock that is entrusted into my care. Perhaps you feel that same way, that there are often times where you wish you were more dedicated, you wish that you were able to do more of the things that your heart desires to do, that you know that the text calls us to do, that the Spirit is urging us to do, and yet, for many reasons, for a myriad of circumstances, and sometimes a lot of excuses, we fail to do these things. The glorious truth is that God gives us grace when we recognize that we have not been the people that we are called to be and that we yearn to be, that we are freed from that guilt so that we can try again. We experience this in a profound way when we gather at the Lord's table. Tonight, our Lord's table is not here. I have not set it up as though we were going to be receiving communion because it's not fair to see it and not be able to have it. Instead, I am going to kind of walk us through a little bit of what it means to take communion. In the United Methodist Church, whether we would be celebrating Holy Thursday or Monday Thursday, we would partake in Holy Communion. And it's important for us, even if we're not part of the United Methodist tradition, to recognize what is being offered here. What is it that God is giving us? And so in a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to do that. But before we do, 
I think one of the best ways in the United Methodist tradition to tie together what we have heard and, and what we know tonight is to be is to have the opportunity to sing. We are a people who sing our faith. And so if you've had the opportunity, we're going to invite you to join us in singing the lyrics to Yesu, Yesu. If you are one of those miraculous people that has a hymnal at your house, you can certainly open it up to 432. Otherwise, we here, uh, who are few in number but strong in commitment to you, are going to lead you in that as best we can. And perhaps it's just a time to hear it. But the refrain that we sing over and over is, Yesu, Yesu, fill us with your love. Show us how to serve the neighbors we have from you. Let us begin. Yesu, Yesu. Fill us with your love, show us how to serve the neighbors we have from you. Kneels at the feet of his friends, silently washes their feet. Master who acts as a slave to them. Yesu, Yesu. Fill us with your love, show us how to serve the neighbors we have from you. Neighbors are rich and poor, neighbors are black and white, neighbors are near and far away. the neighbors we have from you. These are the ones we should serve. These are the ones we should love. All these are neighbors to us and you. Yesu, Yesu, fill us with your love. Show us how to serve the neighbors we have from you. Loving puts us on our knees, serving as though we are slaves. This is the way we should live with you. Yesu, Yesu, fill us with your love, show us how to serve the neighbors we have from you. Kneel at the feet of our friends, silently washing their feet. This is the way we should live with you. Yesu, Yesu, fill us with your love, show us how to serve the neighbors we have from you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So typically in the life of the Methodist Church, we would have an opportunity to explore Holy Communion by engaging with it. In the United Methodist Church, Holy Communion is a sacrament, one of two, baptism being the other, which means we, we believe it is an outward and visible sign of an inward grace 
and that justifying grace that God gives to us that cleanses us here and now, setting us free from everything of our past, every mistake, every willful disobedience, every sin, and setting us free from the guilt of the evil that we have brought forth into the world through our sin. It's a wonderful encounter, and we open it up to all people, for we do not believe that the table of Holy Communion belongs to us. It is not owned by the United Methodist Church or by Crozet United Methodist Church or myself as an ordained elder. Instead, it belongs to Christ, and Christ bids all of us to come to him. And so as we would say here, if you desire to know Jesus Christ, to experience his grace, and to claim it for yourself, then you are welcome at the communion table in any United Methodist Church. And I know that that has been a hallmark of not only the hospitality of this United Methodist Church, but every church I've ever attended in the United Methodist family of faith. It's a beautiful thing to say to someone, we may not know you, but Christ does. And Christ wants you to join us here. Here there is always a place at the table. Here you are always an honored and welcome guest. And here our love and our service are for you. Holy Communion consists of two elements that we partake in. And the first would be the bread. And the second is the cup. And in the United Methodist Church, we typically do not use alcohol. We don't use wine. Um, the, in fact, there was a rather well-known Methodist in the uh, New York, New Jersey area by the name of Welsh's that uh, created a way to keep grape juice from turning, and so we do that. We have a strong connection with Alcoholics Anonymous, and so we choose to offer a non-alcoholic cup. Uh, if we are going to offer alcohol, there has to be a cup that is not, and they must be clearly indicated so that nobody would by mistake take the alcohol. And so um, for a lot of Methodists, if you go to a church that invites you to receive and there's alcohol in the cup, you can tell that they're a Methodist when they taste it. It's usually quite out of the ordinary for us. But the liturgy refers to the wine that Jesus would have used in his Passover Seder, that there would have been wine in his cup and it wouldn't have been quite so fancy and gorgeous as this one, but he would have had his cup and he would have also had access to unleavened bread. In the Passover Seder, they didn't have leavened bread, bread to which yeast had been used to help it rise because the emphasis was that they were going to be leaving so quickly that they wouldn't have the ability to let the bread normally cure and bake, that instead they had to have quick bread that even looking at it, touching it, and tasting it would let you know that it was not the normal bread. And so they would have used an unleavened bread. Now, here in our congregation, we use, um, a, it is a leavened bread, but what we end up using here is a bread that is free of gluten and major, I think the nine major allergens like soy and shellfish and that sort of thing, nuts. We use something that hopefully all of us can come to the table and receive because we want everyone to, to partake of the one bread, the one body of Jesus Christ. But here tonight, I'm, I'm showing you bread that my people would not recognize as our bread. And so it's a little different for us looking at it. We don't normally use this. Um, the other thing is that you could actually use matzah if you have access to that, because that's how modern Jews would be celebrating the Passover Seder. But what we find is that Jesus took this holy ritualized meal of the Seder and he transformed it for him. 
for his apostles. The liturgy in the United Methodist Church tells us that on the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, which he would have had on the table, and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this as often as you will in remembrance of me. So at a night that was all about remembrance, he was asking them to remember something new. He who would give himself up for them. He who would be embodying the Messiah for them in the days ahead. And so he encouraged them in the midst of the meal to do this first piece. And then the, the liturgy tells us that at the conclusion of the meal, after the supper was over, he took his cup. And again, he blessed it and he gave it to them. And he said, drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant that is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this, all of you, as often as you will, in remembrance of me. And so for the United Methodist Church, we tend to take communion by intinction most often, which helps us to preserve the one bread and the one cup that Jesus would have used. Other traditions have other means of doing that. But because it is such a visual and kinetic, it's an engaging activity as well as one where we taste, we have the opportunity to underscore the scriptural basis and the theology in the one bread and the one cup. However, we don't encourage people to all drink from the same cup. And so what we do is we break off a piece of the bread and give it to people as they come forward and they're invited to dip that into the cup and receive both together. And as I said, this is a practice called intinction. Um, there are uh, denominations that will drink from the cup together. Uh, this usually makes Methodists rather squeamish. Uh, this is not a practice that we have. Uh, if they see somebody drink from the cup, there's all kinds of inner dissonance that is very visible. And so we don't tend to do that. Um, and even though under our best practices, we can really limit the number of people that approach and actually engage with the elements before you receive them, we do recognize that right now, this is not a healthy practice for us as we are trying to flatten the curve and prevent more people from getting sick from anything, much less COVID-19. And so that's why we're not receiving this right now. And that is hard for us because in the United Methodist Church tradition, we recognize that something truly powerful and profound can happen at the Lord's table. We recognize that when we have the ability to taste these elements, our entire being remembers the promise of grace. And that these elements that have been transformed through some holy, mysterious way by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit not only grant us this experience of grace, but they actually become part of who we are. Our liturgy asks for God to pour out the Holy Spirit on the gifts of bread and wine to make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we who receive them might become the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. And we yearn for this. Having had it once, most of us look forward to the next time. In fact, there are people who I only see on communion Sundays. That's the major impetus for them to come into the church. It's a perfect time for people to experience something really elevated and profound about how we worship together. It's an incredible opportunity. Some of the most joyful moments that I have experienced in ministry happen around communion. And some of the most terrifying, like when you think you're going to knock over the cup, it is terrifying. Or when you can't quite get the bread broken properly, it can bring you all kinds of anxiety. 
that is nothing compared to the glory. When a child comes up to me and says, I want a big piece of Jesus. Absolutely. When a family comes up together and the first time we went to all gluten-free communion and a family came up that had celiacs in the family and they had not been able to receive together. And for the first time they did. It's a powerful moment. Or when you have the opportunity to give somebody holy communion when they are denied it in their denomination and you can see the glory on their face at being welcomed back to the table. Those are the things that we yearn for and the things that we miss. And I think it's appropriate for us to recognize that things are not how we would have them be. We are getting ready to experience in a profound way that on Easter, things look and feel different than how we expected this year, but they looked and felt different than how the apostles thought they would feel on the first Easter too. We're getting ready to have an opportunity to experience Easter differently. And we could be negative about that. We could sit here and gnash our teeth and wail that we cannot partake in this as we would hope. We could lament openly online that Easter just doesn't feel right. Or we could choose to take this time to recognize that God is going to be able to redeem this for us, not only to give us more gratitude when we come back together again, but also that we are going to have an experience that we can now share and have empathy for the apostles from that first Easter. When we gather at the kingdom to come, at the table where Christ himself serves us, and you find yourself next to Simon Peter, or you find yourself next to that beloved disciple, you'll have the opportunity to say, do you remember when you thought that everything had gone wrong and then somehow God gave you the miracle of Easter? We too will have that experience. And what a glorious gift that God will be able to give us in that time. So for now though, it doesn't feel right. And we acknowledge that. It feels as though we have lost something. And we have. Because when we are not able to gather together and share and manifest the body of Christ and feel the Spirit moving as we have been so comforted to know, we feel the loss. And for some of us, it makes us think a little more, all those times when I could have gone, all those times when I was so busy or I was so tired or I wasn't motivated, perhaps it will help us to avoid that in the future. Someone once said it best when they said, it's not that I want things to go back to normal. I want them to be better. May we manifest that hope and that prayer in the days to come. For now, recognizing that it is not the tasting of the bread in the cup that bring us grace, but it is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And that is not something that we have to eat to receive. It is something that we open and receive in our hearts. May it be so for all of us this day and every day until Christ comes again and perfects us on the day of resurrection. May that be so. We are going to do one thing that we do in, as part of a communion, and that is to pray the Lord's Prayer. And so if you know the Lord's Prayer, you're welcome to pray that. You can certainly look it up, or you can just receive it and listen to it as I encourage you wherever you are to lift up this prayer that Jesus taught his apostles to pray. Let us pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We thank you so much for being with us and hopefully being blessed by this encounter. We hope that we will encounter you again tomorrow on Good Friday. And while this has not been the most child-engaging service that we offer, I do want you to know that on my Facebook, I've posted a reading of an Easter book, and we're going to post it on the church Facebook tonight. And over the next couple days, I'm going to have some other children's books about Easter that I'll post readings of, so that even if I can't be with you and your children, perhaps I can still do a little bit of reading and a little engagement that way. And I hope that we will come together in a new and different, but no less blessed way, on Easter at 930 so I invite you to hear these closing words. Go forth in peace. May Jesus Christ, who for our sake became obedient unto death, even death on a cross, keep you and strengthen you this night and forever. Amen. Good night to you. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.